y'all may be seated. With the thought of the wonderful cross on our minds, let's just go to the Lord in prayer real quick before we go into today's message. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come and we sing songs like we sang today that say that we delight in you and in your law, and we sing songs about the cross being wonderful. And God, I sometimes wonder, though, when we go out of the doors of the church building or we stop to gather here at the school and we head to our houses and everything else, Lord, I wonder sometimes if people really see in our countenance and in our words and in the things we do, do they really see in us a passion for the gospel that is reflected in those words? Is it really a wonderful cross, Lord? Is it really our delight? God, I confess, along with Deemer, that um, there's so many competing delights out there. And God, we need your spirit, the power that resides in every believer. We need your spirit to change our appetites so that we can delight more and so that it will be more wonderful. And so that people, when they see us, will tell that there's something we delight in. There's some wonderful thing we delight in. And then when we speak about it, Lord, it shows that we're just not going through the motions, but that, that Jesus has done something in us, through us, and God, that we're a part of his big story that he's carrying out on the world stage even as we speak. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you guys have had a good week. Um, or uh, I know that I've had a good week. It's been a busy week, but, uh, but it's good. And just uh, I praise the Lord today because we're gathered together, you know. I don't care if it's 500 or if it's five. Just being together with brothers and sisters in Christ is a reason to celebrate. And this past week, Mark and Roger and I and uh, a couple of the kids, I think Bennett was there and Sam was there for a while. We got, we got an opportunity to participate in a prayer walk over at Archer High School. And, you know, there were people from all kinds of different churches there. And it was really neat just to be there praying with brothers and sisters in Christ. And honestly, I'd had a, a long day, and I, I wasn't delighting in the Lord when I went there. I really wasn't. I, was, I, I, I just didn't want to be there. It was hot, and I chose to wear jeans and a black shirt. And I'm sweating, and I wasn't really delighting. But once we got started, and we began to pray together, and I began just to hear these people. I mean, there was a couple from Ebenezer Baptist. There was uh, uh, people from all kinds of different churches, different denominations. It was just the people of God together. And it just brought great joy to my heart once we got started. But I confess I wasn't delighting heading to it toward that. But, um, but today, here we are. I hope you're delighting in the Lord today. I hope the cross is wonderful. You know, we're about to start a series uh, called He Reigns. We are starting it today called The Sovereignty of God and the Gospel in the book of Acts. And it's entitled He Reigns. And it's about the story of Acts. Now, there's lots of different, um, different literary genres in the, uh, in the Bible. There's, there's poetry. There's... Uh, uh, more teaching, didactic uh, uh, teaching elements of, of, the, um, of uh, the Bible. There's uh, prophecy. There's, uh, well, there's all kinds of different story, elements of the Bible. But one of those elements is story, narrative. And the book of Acts is a narrative. It's a story. And so I want us to think about that today as we think about this book of Acts. And I like writing stories. Kids, do you guys like to write stories? You, some of you do, okay? I know it just said no, okay? The, does anyone, oh, 
Do you say yes? No, you like to write stories. Okay. I, I got a story I need y'all's help writing today, okay? Have y'all ever done a Mad Lib? I thought I'd just get us off with a lot of fun today, all right? Okay, Let's, I need y'all's help writing a story this morning. Here we go. I need, okay, we're going to test out the kids here and see if you know your different uh, parts of a sentence. I need a noun, any noun. So I need a kid that has a noun in their mind. Just give me a noun. Cora, what? Church, okay. All right. Okay, that was a noun. Okay, now I need an adjective. You know, a word that describes the noun, okay? Big, okay. All right. All right, that sounds good. Now, I need a name, just any name. Uh, matter of fact, yeah, just any name. Just, what's that? Yeah, well, I mean like a person's name, sorry. A person's name. Thank you. Teacher, sorry, I struggled putting this together last night. I was trying to remember. Now, what is that? <laughs> okay, and, no, I just want a person's name. I don't. Look, Corey, you've already gone. Let's give someone else a chance. Have any of you gone yet? All right, Pocahontas. Wow. And I'm just spelling it the way I want to spell it, teachers. All right. Okay, I need a. Um, I need a verb, action, I need a verb, hmm, Noah, eat, okay, <laughs> oh boy, all right, uh, I need an ad another adjective, just two more things, an adjective and a noun, okay, so I just need an adjective, uh, again, describing something, yes, fluffy, all right, this is a fun story, and uh, a noun, and now, Olivia, horse. Okay, okay, here's the story. Ready? Long, long ago, in a church far, far away, lived a big princess. Her name was Pocahontas, and her favorite thing to do was eat. Wow, that kind of worked pretty, out pretty good, didn't it? One day, a fluffy dragon came to capture her, but as fate would have it, her horse showed up just in time to save her. The end. There's the story. Good job, kids. Thank you very much. You guys participated in, in the story today. And the reason I did that illustration is to talk about God has a story, okay, that he is in the process, an ongoing story of, of, of telling to the world, okay? And it's, we see it here in this book of Acts. Now, unlike the story you guys wrote, which you were not in complete control because uh, you were just kind of guessing at what words needed to be where, God is in absolute and complete control. And even with us participating in that story, as we'll talk about here in a second, we participate in God's story. He's still in absolute control. Now, you guys participated in my story, but I wasn't in control. And either were you guys in control, we ended up with a funny story. But God's in absolute control. So we're going to talk about through this book of Acts that God is an absolutely sovereign God in total and complete control of the book of Acts, of the story. Now, um, I want you to go ahead and turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to read that whole section here in a second. 
But as uh, Deemer, Roger, and I began to read through the book of Acts and think about what, there's lots of different directions you can go, what focus you want to go. We could, we could just do a series on church planting because Acts is a book about church planting. Uh, it can be a series about, um, uh, about just about the gospel. What are the elements? What makes up the gospel? But what we really saw as we were studying that was that it is about the gospel, but it's about God being in absolutely control, absolute control of this gospel story that was unfolding. And so as you look at Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 11, we'll read the whole thing here in a second, but there were a couple of phrases that kind of caught our minds, and I, I want to share with you two that I think kind of serve as the bookends to uh, this story. See if y'all can get my slide working back here. All right, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says that we will be witnesses. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And then we notice in Acts chapter 28, verse 28, it talks about, it's thought Paul's kind of giving his testimony of what God's called him to do, to go to the Gentiles, and God says they will listen. This is the bookends of the book of Acts. This is God's story. You're going to be my witnesses, and they will listen. Does it mean everybody will listen? No, but God has a people, a chosen race, a people that he has, he knows will listen to his gospel message. So Acts chapter 1 is where we're starting today. So if you would... Turn to Acts chapter 1 if you haven't already. If you need a Bible this morning, we've got some back there in the back, and we can grab one for you. So just raise your hand if you need one, and I will put it on the screen as well. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, and he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom... He had chosen to them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God and while staying with them he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the father which he said you heard from me for John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so the story of the book of Acts begins. The story of the book of Acts begins what i want us to see is that this gospel story is an ongoing story god's story continuing this gospel a lot of times we think about the life of jesus and we think about it as a story he was born okay he he uh, lived a life he was about 33 or so when um, he died he was crucified he was buried and he rose again and so if you ask someone what's the story of jesus they'll tell you well that's the story 
of Jesus. But look at how Jesus, look at how the passage starts off here in verse 1. It's Luke talking to his friend Theophilus, and he says, um, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus, what's the next word? Began to do and teach. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So this book of Acts tells us just the beginning of the ongoing story of God's sovereign gospel plan and promise to redeem mankind through his son, Jesus. It's just the beginning. Matter of fact, one of my favorite, I like coming up with names for different things. If I could have thought of this name for a church, man, I would have done it. But, and, uh, but there's a ministry, uh, I'm not sure what, is it Adam Morris Hill, Acts 29? And they're, the title of their ministry is Acts 29. I love that. Because how many books are there, how many chapters are there in Acts? 28. And we're living in Acts 29. We are part of the ongoing story of God's sovereign plan to redeem mankind. And so it's really cool um, to think about that. And this is, it's, Jesus just began. What he, we read of in the Gospels is just the beginning. And what we read of here in Acts is just the beginning of the ongoing story. Now, in one sense, it is finished. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 4, on the cross, he said, it is finished. Okay, but in one sense also, it's ongoing. It's finished in the sense that Jesus has the, he's paid for the sins once for all. But it's ongoing in the sense that we are to be witnesses and we are to continue to spread the news of what Jesus has done so that all those for whom he died might be brought into the fold, might be brought into the kingdom. So it's finished and it's an ongoing story. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your notes this morning, and I want you to open them up and just put a big X through the notes right there. Uh, I changed the sermon right before the service, all right? So I just want you to just, just mark it out. It's not, those are not the, the appropriate notes, okay? So you can just mark it out. They may be a little bit similar to what I'm talking about, but I just didn't feel comfortable with the sermon this morning, and so I'm, I'm changing it on the fly. So just please don't try to follow along with your notes on there. I did have time to change the PowerPoint, though, so you can write your own notes down, okay? So I just wanted to give you that heads up before you guys really get confused here in a second and start going, what is his problem? Okay. Now, I want us to look at some truths about this ongoing story. I want us to look at some truths about God's ongoing gospel story. And the first thing I want us to see is that it is a story that is real. It is a story that is real, okay? A lot of our religions and a lot of... Uh, uh, faiths are built on myths. Matter of fact, you all grew, grew up in literature class reading the classic myths of Greek mythology or Roman mythology, and a lot of religion is based on made-up stories. Matter of fact, I just wanted to see, just wanted to see, and sure enough, I did a Google search late last night to see if, um, if there's any religions based on Star Wars. And you know there is. It's called Jediism. It is actually a real religion, and they have a website and everything else, and you can, you can become a Jedi. How cool is that, all right? But anyway, it's just fake. It's not real, okay? But this gospel story is a story that is real. Notice the authenticity of the way Luke starts this whole thing off. 
Okay? He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, this is a pretty common form of greeting someone when you start a, 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 a work, especially a historical document that you're writing for someone. It was very common in antiquity for a historian to be hired or to, be, to work for someone, and, and they would compile their work, and they would greet, start the greeting off like this. Oh, oh, you know, oh honored so-and-so. You know, and this, now, we don't need to go too far trying to figure out well, who Theophilus is. That really doesn't matter. Okay? His name actually means friend of God or lover of God, but don't try to read into that some sort of a, a meaning that, okay, he's, he's referring to all of us. It, there was a guy named Theophilus, okay? And it was a common name during that time. Matter of fact, it, there are documents that show people named that, you know, up to three centuries before this was actually written. But this is a pretty common greeting for someone who's writing up a historical document. But even more important to that, we need to remember that this is actually the second volume of a set. This is written, the book of Acts is written by the apostle or by Luke. Okay, it's written by Luke. And Luke wrote the gospel of Luke. And if you see the beginning of the gospel of Luke, it says this. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these, I mean, all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke's intent was to write a, a historical document. So, and so we see from the beginning of Luke, even more importantly, that this is a historical document that, that Luke is carrying out here. And it's a two-volume set. So really, this could be called Luke Part 2 or the Gospel of Luke Part 2. I, I would kind of like to, I think all of it should just be called, uh, one of you guys said this in one of our meetings, the Acts of God. Acts, uh, Luke and Acts should just be called the Acts of God because it's all one big story about what God is accomplishing and has accomplished. So, the next thing I want you to see is in, Acts, in verse 3, he says, To them... He's talking about to the apostles. He presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, proofs is a legal term to talk about evidence. So what Luke is saying here, okay, you can tell from the way he starts the book of Luke, any way he starts Acts, his concern is with proof. His concern is with evidence. And so he says, you know, there are many evidences, many proofs uh, that he gave to the disciples during 40 days as he spoke about the kingdom of God. Perhaps one of the most striking and important passages regarding such proofs is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. This is Paul speaking, and he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, listen to this, most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the, all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, most scholars agree that 1 Corinthians is one of the earliest books in the New Testament. Matter of fact, some estimates say that it was written as early as uh, A.D. 42, maybe even 40. So we're looking at just seven years, perhaps, after Jesus died, that Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians, is, is perhaps being written. And there's different estimates there. On, on where that book falls, but most agree that it's one of the earliest books. And as Paul says, many of the people are still alive. 
If people wanted to dispute the resurrection of Christ, there were plenty of people they could go talk to. There were plenty of people that were still alive. All the Jews had to do was to present the body. Now you might say, well, maybe the, maybe the apostles had stolen the body. Well, I don't think anybody's willing to die for a lie. And the apostles were willing to go to death for this truth that Jesus had risen from the grave. So it's a real story. It's a real story about what God is really doing, what he has really done. Okay, I was reminded as I was thinking about this, of uh, you heard about these people, I, they wrote this um, book called Angel at the Fence. Did y'all hear about that? They, about these two people that, uh, were in, this guy was in a concentration camp in World War II, and then the person outside the concentration camp, I don't know where it was, in, in Poland or something like that, was throwing him food, and they were kids, and, that, and then they met in New York, it was like this fate brought them back together in New York, and they got married at an old age, and it was just this wonderful love story, and they were on Oprah, and everybody was crying. It's just wonderful. And then it comes out that it was all hoax. It was all fake. It wasn't real. Okay, the evidence didn't stand up. The evidence for Christ has stood up for 2,000 years, and it will always stand up because it's a real story, and we're involved in a real story. The second thing I want us to see, God's ongoing gospel story, is that it's a story about God's rule. It's a story about God's rule. I want you to notice again in verse 3. Verse 3, he says, To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. Speaking about the kingdom of God. That phrase, kingdom of God, it's used a lot uh, in the New Testament. It's used a lot, especially in the Gospels. And kingdom of God, sometimes there's a synonymous phrase called kingdom of heaven that's used, and it always is referring to God's rule, God's sphere of rule. Now, it's true that God rules everywhere. He rules all time and space. But this term specifically refers to those people who have come under subjection to God's rule by recognizing it and submitting to it. God's rule. God's kingdom or the kingdom of heaven are some of Jesus' favorite phrases. As a matter of fact, it says at the very beginning of his ministry in the Gospels, it says that he was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And what's the good news? The good news is the gospel, right? It's the gospel. It's the same word. Gospel, good news. It's the good news of the, go of the kingdom of God. So there's this close connection between the word gospel and the kingdom of God. And we see that theme throughout this book that, that in the theme of the gospel, that God rules and that he rules in the hearts of men when we accept the gospel message. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior and we accept the gospel message and the gospel truth of what he's done, then he rules in our hearts. We submit to his rule, and we are part of the kingdom of God. Acts 28, 31, almost at the very end of this book, okay, kind of another set of bookends here, because we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus is preaching the kingdom of God to his disciples after he's risen. And then in Acts 28, verse 31, uh, Paul talks about how he's proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, and without hindrance. The kingdom of God, the rule of God, that's what we preach, is that God wants to rule in the hearts of mankind. He deserves the rule because he is God. And so this gospel story is about God's rule. Now, the disciples in verse 6 through 7, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So again, they're talking about kingdom. And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons, that the Father is fixed by his own authority. So the disciples were still wanting a physical kingdom. The kingdom of God 
isn't right now about a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of his people. But there will come a time when there will be a physical reign. The Bible clearly says Jesus will return and he will reign on earth and that there will be a kingdom of God on earth where everything is finally recognizing and subjecting to his rule as king. And so the disciples are asking that, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And God shows, or Jesus shows them that he, that this rule that they're talking about, this physical rule, it will come one day, but that's in God's timing, totally in God's timing. So the physical kingdom will come, but in God's timing. And you know what? That's not what we're to be worrying about. We're not to be worrying about the physical kingdom of God. We are to worry about the kingdom of God, but not the physical rule of God when he's coming back. We should look for it. We should hope for it. We should pray for it. But you know what? A lot of people, it's very easy to get obsessed with it, obsessed with the return of Christ and obsessed with trying to find clues in the Bible. And there are lots of clues in the Bible, but it can become an obsession to the point that we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing because Jesus follows up Acts chapter, uh, verses 6 and 7 here in, in chapter 1 with verse 8, which is the theme verse for the whole book of Acts. So let's read it. Okay, after he tells them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Okay, it's not for you to be worrying about. He says this, but, but what? But here's what you should be doing. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the third thing I want us to see this morning is that it's a story in which we play a role. Okay, we did the Mad Lib a minute ago. The kids played a role, but they weren't in control of the story. But they did play a vital role to how the story came out. Similarly, we play a role. We play a vital role in God's story. But unlike me, God's in complete control of how it comes out. Okay? God's in complete control of the end. He knows exactly how everything's going to turn out. So, you will be my witnesses. I want you to focus in on two words here. Like I said, this is kind of the theme verse for all the book of Acts. Focus in on two words, the word power and the word witness. Okay, if you go through the book of Acts, you see that over and over again. The power of God being demonstrated and that they're supposed to be witnesses. Power and witness, power and witness. They go together throughout the whole book. Power and witness. And that's what we see here in this verse. And we are all called, all those who have subjected to the rule of God. In other words, all those who've received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and have subjected to God's kingdom rule in their hearts, all those who have subjected themselves to God's rule are to play a part in the story. There are no small parts. We're all to be witnesses. Now, I want you to notice, first let's talk about power. I want us to talk about power, first of all. I want us to notice three uses of the, Holy, of the word Holy Spirit here. Notice in verse 2, it starts off, it says, Jesus gave commands through the Holy Spirit. So it's talking about the commands that he's giving his disciples through the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, in the Gospels, there's only one person that's spoken of as being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know who that person is? It's Jesus. Jesus is the only person in the Gospels that, where it talks about someone being filled with or having the Holy Spirit. And so Acts starts off with Jesus has the Holy Spirit and he's commanding his disciples through the Holy Spirit. 
Now, how all that works out, that's one of the great mysteries of the Trinity, okay? Because God the Father and the Spirit are one, and Jesus has the Holy Spirit, which was, which he's always had the Holy Spirit, and it's symbolized in when he was baptized, and it shows the, the dove descended upon him. That was symbolic of Jesus' uh, of having the Holy Spirit and being empowered by the Holy Spirit, but he was never separated from the Holy Spirit because God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one. But Jesus, the Bible starts off here, I mean, the Acts starts off here with Jesus has the Holy Spirit. Then look at verse 5. It talks about the promise, okay? For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So Jesus has the Holy Spirit. He promises the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, okay, we, we see that he, we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. So that's the progression here. That's how Acts starts off. Jesus has it, promises it, and then he's going to do, give it to the disciples so that they can have the power to be witnesses. That's the power to participate in the story. Okay, earlier today, the lights went out about two minutes before the service. And I thought, boy, the power's gone. That's not good. But the power of the church isn't the lights and the camera and the action. The power of the church, of the people who have subjected to the rule of Christ, the power of the church is the Holy Spirit that resides within. That's the power of the church. So, you know, God gave me an illustration this morning with that. I already had one here because I had a couple of watches that, that don't work. See, I don't actually replace the batteries. I just go get a new watch. And I actually had another one uh, sitting somewhere that actually worked, a cheap one. Because this one actually uh, was a great watch, cost a lot of money, I guess. I got it for my birthday. It's a fossil watch. And, um, but nobody wants to replace a battery on it. I can't take it everywhere. Nobody replaces it. So it's useless. It's a beautiful watch. Yeah, great. And this is another one I got, and it's nice. But it's useless as well because its battery is dead, and I can't figure out how to open it. I've got this cheap $5 Walmart one that's working great right now. But you know what? Sometimes I think, you know, we may look beautiful on the outside as believers, but so many of us act powerless in this world. We're scared of what's happening in the world. Instead of being Christians of power, Christians of prayer, okay, we're, it seems like political action is more important to us than Holy Spirit power. And God has given us power. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have the power to participate in the story. We can't be believers without the power. Let me say that again. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, you do have the Holy Spirit. Remember, you cannot be a believer in Christ and not have the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is what even enables us to believe, first of all. But the Holy Spirit is what seals us and guarantees our redemption. We have the Holy Spirit if we've accepted Jesus Christ. That's why Paul is always talking about walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, and so and living in tune with the Spirit. So if the rule of God is in us, if the kingdom of God is in us, then we're, we're exactly what Ezekiel foretold. In Ezekiel chapter 36, God said, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The only way to live the Christian life, to obey God's rules, to honor him, to live for him, is if you have the Holy Spirit. And so if you're sitting here saying, hey, I'm going to give this Christianity thing a, a try. 
I'm going to give it a spin like it's a, like it's a new car and see, oh, I, I, maybe, maybe I'll become a Christian. You know what? You can try it. You can try to follow uh, Jesus' commands. You can try to do uh, follow his ethical standards. Go for it. But you know what? Unless you've submitted to the rule of God in your heart and accepted him as Jesus Christ, there's no power. You're like the watch sitting up here. And you can dress up and you can go to church and you can do lots of Christian-y things. But you know what? It'll have no power and have no effect. And pretty soon you'll just give up. And so the rule of God is important in our hearts. And that's where the power comes from to be the people God wants us to be. And what does he want us to be? He wants us to be witnesses. It's a story in which we play a role because we have power and we have power to be witnesses. Acts 1.8, he says, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in all of the earth. And to the ends of the earth, sorry. Now, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a witness. You will be my witnesses. He does not say, you know what, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be my witness. Or you can if you want to. Or if you're gifted with a wonderful speaking voice, you can be my witness. Or if you're very outgoing, you can be my witness. Jesus makes it very clear. You will be my witnesses. It's a command. You will be my witnesses. So if you're a believer, you are a witness. Whether you like it or not. Whether you accept it or not. Your lifestyle is a witness. And so if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're out there and you're not intentionally being a witness guess what people are watching you and you are a witness and people watch you and people say hey that person says they're a follower of Christ that person says they've submitted to Christ I'm watching what that person is doing and you're being a witness you're being a witness through your words and through your deeds go back to the very first verse when he talks about what Jesus began to what does it say to do and to teach what Jesus began to do and to teach what Jesus is doing and teaching now, he's doing it through the Holy Spirit in the hearts of his people. The story's ongoing right here. So Jesus is still doing and teaching. And if we're Christians who teach something but then don't do it, then we're hypocrites. And that's the way a lot of us are. We like to hear the teaching, but the doing part's not all that easy. And so to do and to teach, it's actions and it's our words. And so when we go out and we're witnesses to the world, we should be witnesses with our words. Now, I'm one of those people who, who I'm not very outgoing at all. Matter of fact, my stomach kind of, especially if I have to meet a lot of new people at once, I really kind of get a stomach ache, to be honest with you. I'm not good at meeting new people. And so I very, very easily lean towards the side that says, hey, you know what? You don't have to tell people about your faith. Just live it, dude. Just live it, and people will see Jesus, and man, next thing you know, it's revival. All right? Because they see in you Jesus, and therefore, that's all you got to do. That's not true. Because you know you can live an upright and godly life, but Jesus also tells us to speak of him. To tell others about what's happened in our life. To share our story. Now, it doesn't mean you have to have a slick gospel plan down or a track in your pocket every time you meet someone. Hey, you know, and share it with them on the spot. But you know what? you got to be ready. As, the, as Peter said, let me find the verse. It's somewhere else in my notes because I totally rewrote the sermon ah but it, but in your hearts regard christ as lord ruler lord in your hearts regard christ as lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a for the hope 
sorry, for a reason for the hope that is in you. In other words, that lifestyle should say, hey, I'm a person of hope, a person of peace. And so they see the lifestyle, and so then the word should be able to back it up. And you should be able to give them a reason. Let me tell you the reason I have hope. It's not because I have a great church. It's not because I have a great family. It's not because my job's going well. Let me tell you why I have peace. It's because God rules in my heart through Jesus Christ. That's why I have hope. That's why I have peace. That's the way we should live the Christian life. When I think about being a witness, and the songs we sang today about being a delight and, and, and the wonderful cross. Okay, when I, when I have breakfast with Toby, I can tell he delights in the Steelers because he talks about them. Okay, I can't stand the Steelers, but he talks about them. Okay, and he especially delights in them when they win Super Bowls. We'll see if he delights in them next year when they go 2-14 and 14 or something, all right? But he delights in them. You can tell he, he enjoys his football team, and he's proud of his football team. That's fine. But I wonder how many believers delight in their Lord to the same extent that Toby delights in the Steelers. Because when you delight in something, you tell people about it. Why do, why do you carry pictures of your kids either on your, your Palm Pilot or in your wallets or, or put them on your desktop at your work? Why do you do that? Because you delight in your family and you want to share them with people. And you want to let people know, hey, these are my kids. This is my family. I delight in them. And so when you delight in the Lord, as we said we're supposed to do in these songs, and if it's really a wonderful cross, then guess what? It flows out of us in words and in deeds. And so it's a story that we will participate in, not because, I mean, you will be my witnesses. It's not like Jesus is holding a gun to our head and saying, yeah, go be my witness. It's you will be a witness because I rule your heart. And I rule your heart, and you have joy, and you have hope, and you have love. And guess what? That can't stay in. It'll explode out of you. And I think the reason a lot of us fail to witness sometimes is we have let go of the joy of having Christ rule our heart. And Christianity has become a routine. It's become a routine. I get up at... 9.20, get to church by 9.25, hopefully. Um, I read my Bible when I can. I give what I can. And you have a routine down. And that, routines aren't bad. It's good to be in a routine. But if the routine simply becomes our relationship with God, all right, let's, I mean, just take practical. If my relationship with my family is just routine, I show up time to have dinner with them, I say the right words. Good night, honey. Love you. Okay? If I, there's no love, joy in that. It has to be something that flows out of us. And so if we're struggling this morning, I'm just, I cannot be what Jesus wants me to be. I cannot be a witness. I don't feel any power. Maybe it's time to slow down and find our joy again. Really mean that it's a wonderful cross. Really mean that you delight in the law of the Lord really mean these things. And if you're struggling with it, guess what? Don't come up with new routines to try to fix your problem. Submit to the rule of Christ and fall on your face and say, God, I don't have appropriate appetites for you, and I need your spirit to take over and to change my appetites and to make me want you more and to make me love you more and to make me more willing to speak of you. Because if we say, hey, I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and 
I'm going to become a better witness. We're going to fall on our face and we'll get discouraged. Because that's not where our power comes from. Our power comes from the Holy Spirit that resides within us. It's the power to love. It's the power to be joyful. It's the power to be hopeful. Guess what? You can be filled with joy even amongst the most difficult circumstances of life. You can be. You can be. But it's not because you're wired a certain way or you've got the ability to do it. It's because the Holy Spirit resides within you. And God gives us peace and joy and those sort of things that pass all understanding. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is all about what God's producing in us. It's about what God's doing through us, not what we're able to accomplish on our own. Jesus was also here. I want us to look at a couple of things he says here. When he tells us to go out and to be witnesses. Witnesses, okay, like I said, with our actions or with our words, about what? Well, witnesses about him. And where? Everywhere. Okay, remember the disciples in verse 6, they had just said, or maybe verse 7, they had just said, okay, uh, hey, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to, to what? To Israel? And, and Jesus says, it's not your, your prerogative to worry about those things, but go. Okay, go be my witnesses. And then he tells them in Judea and in Samaria, okay, and into the, to the ends of the earth. The gospel story is a story that obliterates barriers. This gospel story is a story that knows no bounds. It obliterates barriers. Two things he tells them to do. When he says Judea and Samaria, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. So he's talking about breaking down racial barriers, conflict barriers. And then he says to the ends of the earth, he's talking about breaking down geopolitical barriers, going to different countries. So this is what we are to be about. The gospel message is to break down barriers. If you're sitting here in this room and you say, well, I just don't get along with that person. I don't, I don't really get along with those people. Or I don't know them or whatever else. Or if you're looking at your neighbors and they're a different race than you are, or whatever, and you're thinking, yeah, you know, I just won't connect with them. I won't click with them. Guess what? The gospel knows not one single barrier that man dis- decides to put up. Matter of fact, it, sa- it says in Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel obliterates the barriers that mankind puts up. And that's what the gospel story is all about. So it's a story that's real, it's a story about God's rule, and it's a story in which we play a role. And just to conclude us here, in the last couple of verses, I want us to see, he says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And the conclusion is simply this, and I didn't make it one of the points, but it's a story in which there will be a happy ending. It's already set. Jesus will come again. The story already has its happy ending. Our Lord is coming back, and we should pray for it. We should long for it. But guess what? We should long for it in such a way that it doesn't keep us from doing our task. What were the disciples doing? They were just staring into the sky. Now, I would probably be staring into the sky for quite a while, too, if I saw 
what they saw. So I'm not going to be too harsh on the guy. And then it took a couple of angels to appear and say, hey, get with it. He's coming back. And a lot of us sit here in our little Christian circles gazing at the sky. Oh, Lord, come back. Our country's falling apart. This is going wrong. There's violence. There's this. And, and we're, you know what? You should pray for the return of Christ. Pray for the return of Christ. But you know what? The key to overcoming political unrest and, and racial unrest in our country is God's people going out and sharing the gospel message so that more of our country will come under the rule of Christ. So instead of gazing at the sky, we should be out doing the work that we've been called to do. It's a story that continues even as we speak. What I want us to do as we pray and close with a couple of songs, I, uh, the first song we're going to sing when we're done, after I pray here in a second, um, usually we bring our prayer requests up, and, but we're going to have our offering time real quick. We're going to pass the plate, and, uh, and then after we pass the plate, we're going to have our prayer time where you can bring your prayer cards up. Now, there's two things I want us to do. I want you to bring a prayer card up. There's just plenty of them out there. And I want you to put a name on the prayer card of someone you know who's lost. By all means, guys, we should be praying for the lost as a church. Put it on the card and bring it up here and put it in. And then after we're done with that first song and everyone's put their, their, their things in, now don't start bringing your prayer request up until after we've taken the offering, right? That's important, all right? I don't mean to sound bad, but that, that is important. But after you put those prayer requests in, and everyone's got theirs in, then I want you to come up and get one during the last song. And take one and be praying for someone this week who's lost. And then I also want to pass these out. Matter of fact, I'm going to start them going around in a circle right now on two sides. Okay, they've been sitting back there for months, and no one's picking them up. And all they are is a gospel track called Quest for Joy. It's just a gospel track. I'm not telling you you have to go out and use it, but guess what? Keep it with you so that when that spirit takes over and that joy and people are looking at it saying, hey, what's up with you? you got a lot of hope. You say, hey, i got a reason. And you can begin to share. And this is just a tool. You don't have to use it. Someone can give me a tool. I mean, my dad bought me a saw a few years ago, and I've only used it like once, all right? It's just a tool. <laughs> so you don't have to use it, all right? So let's close in prayer. And the music team, why don't you all go ahead and get up here, and uh, let's get these. Uh, we'll close with this special time of prayer, all right? Bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray right now, uh, Lord, that you would make me a better witness. God, it's easy to stand up and talk about these things. Um, and so, Lord, it's uh, much more difficult to go meet my new neighbors who just moved into the left of me, of my house. It's very, very difficult for me to get up the courage to go over there and meet them and talk to them and to begin to sow seeds and gospel seeds and find out if they have faith and find out if they're under the rule of Christ and God, it's so difficult. And so, God, we confess to you that we cannot do it on our own. We cannot come up with our own schemes and methods to make this gospel uh, happen, to make, the, to make it spread, to be these witnesses that you've called us to be. And God, no matter who we are, we're all witnesses. The, the, the apostles saw you, so they were physical witnesses. But your scripture says, as Jesus told Thomas, that blessed are all those who believe in him without seeing. So, God, we don't have to see you to be a witness. If you've done a work in our heart, Lord Jesus, then we are a witness. <laughs> and we can't keep quiet about it. So, God, I pray right now that you'd turn our hearts toward you, that your Holy Spirit would take over, and, God, that we would honor you with our lives, with what we do, but also with what we say. And, God, I pray for all these names that are going to be put into this basket up here. 
Now think about my own, some of my own family and relatives who are so far from the Lord, who delight in a thousand things above God. Oh God, I pray that you would invade their hearts, show them that you are a ruler, and God, give them a heart, a new heart of flesh so that they can submit to your rule and be a part of your kingdom. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.